Good afternoon. You are listening live to Radio Maria England from our London studio. And we have with us Edward Haddas, who is a research fellow at Blackfriars Hall in Oxford. And he's going to be talking to us, continuing a series of credos on a contraceptive culture. Um, So I'll hand over to you, Edward. Great. Thank you. Actually, not quite a contraceptive culture, but a contraceptive mentality, um, which is a slightly different idea. Um, the, uh, that what we, from the mentality comes the culture and indeed the culture reinforces the mentality. And let me just start thinking about this in terms of, um, the, the basic notion that was expressed so beautifully in Pope Paul VI, uh, encyclical on contraception, um, Humanae Vitae, which I'm sure listeners to Radio Maria are probably more familiar with than, than the average population. Uh, but he makes the, the 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 statement that it is in that document that it is impossible uh, or wrong to try to uh, separate the unitive and procreative meanings of the sexual act. And that's a small statement with very, very large implications. Um, But it's very important to understanding our culture uh, that we live in to think about this this objection, this claim, um, and to see that what happens when we deny it. And that's what I and many much more distinguished thinkers than I have called the contraceptive mentality, the idea that in our thinking, we think of preventing conception, of trying to uh, take the sexual act and the sexual activity as a whole, and think of of procreation as something that we wish and want and think we should be able to to separate from the the act itself, from the physical, uh, and then the policy is called uni- unitive. We might think about the pleasure and the love, the emotions that surround um, sexual sexual love. So it's it's a challenging uh, domain, um, and perhaps the, the good way to start with this is to. Um, to think about the history. Um, Like many modern innovations, um, sort of starting in, well, starting four or 500 years ago, you have things that are, we we see things being developed in the modern world that no one had thought of or had thought of as possible. So the idea that it might be good and it might be possible to engage in contraception in a serious way, in a way that would uh, would shape the way we thought about sexual love, really didn't occur to anyone. Uh, one can go through this, and there are probably some exceptions here and there, but basically almost no one, let's say, until roughly 1900, ever thought that it was a good idea to try to create a contraceptive society, a society in which 
this natural and important central task of moving from one generation to the next, of merging families, couples, um, creating a new generation of people um, through sexual uh, sexual activity, that this activity, that this process should somehow be constrained by not uh, by, by taking away the tie of sexual activity and procreation. Um, this is, as I say, it's a brand new notion that comes into the world roughly around 1900. Um, so I'm not sure where we're gonna, where, where that's, that, that's the starting point, um, but the, ne the next thing perhaps to, to think about um, is why, but I'm going to let that one stand in abeyance for a minute. Um, just point out one very prominent example of not contraceptive thinking. Uh, and this is from a modern thinker who is uh, extremely uh, interested in the danger of having too many children, which uh, mm -hmm. was one of the arguments for contraception, has been that there, we can have too many children. This is Thomas Malthus, a Church of England vicar, um, who uh, was worried about that we would have mass starvation writing around 1790 to 1800. He softened his views later in his life. But it's very interesting reading him because he, he says, well, hypothetically, we could engage in artificial means to, uh, to reduce the number of children. That is, we could engage in contraception. He doesn't quite use that word. Um, but that would be vice, he says. And we could never encourage poor people to do that. It's so obvious to him that it's socially destructive to imagine a world in which sex and, uh, and children are not necessarily, if not universally, if not every, you know, all the time in sexual relations, that they are connected. It seems like an obvious departure from the nature of the world to try to separate them. So people who did that, um, by a, whether through abortion um, or various crude techniques of what we would now call contraception, were um, seen as, as fairly obvious criminals. They were going against nature, um, much as uh, in, in Christian countries, at least, um, sodomy was seen to be going against nature. You have some sense of how the world works and sex and children are, uh, are, are intimately, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally connected. Um, okay, so what comes next? Well, something changes. Um, if, if you're American, as I am by origin, you often, uh, um, uh, you, you often start talking about Planned Parenthood, uh, Margaret mm -hmm. Sanger, and she's a very easy target uh, to, 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 to pick on because she ties contraception not only with uh, reducing the surplus population or preventing a surplus population, thus reversing Malthus's 
um, argument that this would be vice, uh, but she also sees this as eugenics, so we can prevent inferior parts of the population from breeding. So we can, we 21st century people can dislike her and indeed as her eugenics, the centrality of eugenics to her thinking has become more prominent. Uh, her name has been removed from various uh, uh, buildings and so forth, schools. Um, so uh, that, that I think is a good thing, but it misses what might be even more important is this innovation of contemplating the freedom from procreation as a kind of freedom for women and a kind of social revolution that was very desirable. We should want to have this sort of what would have previously been seen as this sort of sin, this sort of irresponsibility, this sort of carelessness for the future, this sort of disrespect for human nature's weaknesses. All of that is jettisoned in Sanger's understanding of how sexual freedom, how sexual, how women and thus men should think of themselves in as sexual beings, as sexual creatures, that what was most important was freedom. She has not yet uh, developed the kind of culture of sexual pleasure or sexual experimentation, but by the 1920s, the avant-garde of uh, the West are indeed thinking in those terms. There's enough contraception available, enough abortion available, for sexual experimentation to start to become, at least in these advanced circles, something that's accepted um, sometimes with a certain kind of thrill, a frisson of excitement for breaking barriers. Uh, but even then, with a certain amount of just, this is the way it should be. So no longer not thinking of, oh, we're doing something that, that breaks transgressive, just thinking this is how humans really should be to have sex separated from, uh, from, um, from, from procreation and to have a, a notion that preventing procreation would be, would, would be the right way to have, to, to run the world. Um, so not quite a mentality of that, uh, because there is still this sense that it's daring and revolutionary to think that way, but you're starting to see that develop. Um, and we can see this in a day when the Church of England, at the time when the Church of England was still a, a major sort of cultural force and its voice was still seemed to have some kind of moral authority, hard to imagine these days in, in, in much of the, the Anglican communion. Uh, but in those days, in 1920s, it, it, it was still a voice uh, that, that was respected. And when the church very tentatively endorsed the Church of England, endorsed uh, contraception in the Lambeth Conference, and I think we're talking 1921, um, and it said, that for the sake of happiness in marriage, um, it could be it could be licit, it could be beneficial even 
to think of the marriage as a whole, to think that we want to think of procreation not as connected to sex, but as connected to marriage. And so as long as you as a couple were open to marriage, open to children in a general sort of way over the course of your marriage, um, he, this was all fine. So it's the thin end of the wedge. It's very tiny. You know, there was no suggestion that sex outside of marriage was anything but sinful. There was no suggestion that you could choose willingly and licitly. It was okay to choose not to have children at all in marriage. There was no suggestion that sex itself should be contraceptive per se, and that would be the standard. It was just a sort of concession that maybe this would uh, help couples avoid having giant families, one thing, and which could be bad for them. And also, um, um, uh, that, that, that it, it could also be, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there, uh, that marriage could be renewed in terms of the, that's right, the, the affection of the spouses. So um, that the idea that you wouldn't have to worry about getting pregnant when you were engaging in sexual love would somehow deepen the love. Um, these, are, these arguments are going to come up again four decades later in the majority report um, preparing for uh, the, the Catholic Church's teaching, the, the, which eventually mm -hmm. becomes humanity Vitae. Um, maybe that's a good place for me to stop talking um, mm -hmm. and, and uh, uh, to, to think about, um, you know, any, any thoughts or, or, or responses there, Anna? Oh, it's just a, it's really fascinating. I didn't know that about the, um, the Lambeth, um, was it the Lambeth report or? Well, that, that, that was their thinking, the conference, yeah. sorry, yeah. yeah. So, and um, in fact, Pope, Pope um, Pius XI wrote in response to that, the first of the documents about uh, contraception, which is Casti Canubi, um, chaste uh, spouses, basically, um, in which he uh, apparently was so alarmed by this teaching, even though it was this tiny, thin edge of the wedge, that he... Uh, um, he wrote a large, long document about how this was a terrible idea. Um, it's only one part of the, the document. It also, the document is also complaining about the Soviet Union's uh, treatment of women as identical to men, sending them out to work. So there is a very, what we might now call an anti-feminist agenda, um, that women should stay and be wives and mothers and have a domestic calling but it was particularly um, uh, apparently. Uh, you know, this is I read this. I don't have any particular knowledge um, that it, the spur of this was the endorsement of contraception by by the Anglican Church. So it really was uh, a shocker, not just to you now in two thousand and twenty-three, mm -hmm. but at the time to the Catholic Church. And in a sense, they were. Because it was such a new notion that someone would praise this, um, the church had to gather its intellectual resources um, in, in a real sense to, uh, um, to to try and think about why that that idea that had always was seemed so obviously wrong that you didn't really have to articulate careful and clear arguments against it. Um, what what it was uh, uh, what was wrong with it? 
and Kasti Kanubi is a very good document, although sometimes it seems rather old-fashioned in some ways. Um, but it 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 does sometimes feel like he's trying to figure it all out. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't tend to read papal documents as look, he's struggling with a new idea. But I think sometimes that's a helpful way to read papal documents. And here he is struggling with a new idea, not the idea that contraception is wrong is new, but the idea is we have to explain why it's wrong because it, it never seemed obvious. Uh, it never seemed anything but obvious. Mm -hmm. And so when something's obvious, you don't tend to think, well, why do I have to justify that? But now we did in the 1920s and time will move on and we're gonna get there, uh, gonna have to think through uh, this um, this this idea, um, and part of that thinking through is to recognize that when you start to accept contraception, you have a new way of thinking. It's a new way of thinking about mm -hmm. women and men. It's a new way of thinking about love. It's a new way of thinking about social roles uh, of, by, according to gender. It's a new way of thinking about what sexual love is for and how it how we should regulate or think about it on a social scale. Um, so mm -hmm. we're going to think about it as a whole mentality and a mentality that starts to shape uh, the culture. Um, and yeah. while the Catholic Church was hardly alone in 1920 in thinking this was an appalling new idea, um, it, it was uh, by 1960 or 65, it was indeed the only institution of any scale that uh, had any resistance to this developing contraceptive way of thinking. Perhaps now is a good uh, time for a music break. This Excellent. is The Vine by Brother Isaiah. He's growing, he's growing in me. Patience, oh patience, my child. With his growing, this growing in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As he said, I am the vine, you are the brain chase. I am the vine and you are the branches Remain in me, remain in me and you will see Remain in me, remain in me and you will see Child, oh, now 
Biting my love now, biting my love now, and begin again. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Cause I am the vine, you are the branches. Main in me, remain in me, and come to see. the vine by brother isaiah and if you've just tuned in this is credo our monthly not monthly uh daily uh catechesis program and we have with us edward hadas who is talking about uh the contraceptive mentality and you've been giving us a bit of the history of um the introduction of contraception and how that kind of changed people's mentalities um pious pope pius the sixth i believe um, if I've got the oh, Paul, Paul the sixth, sorry, <laughs> all the popes. Sort of, I, it seems a long time but yeah, ago. they get they get the muddled in my head. Um, publishes this encyclical Humanae Vitae, um, which is very controversial. Um, riles up a lot of uh, negative opinion, shall we say, arguing against uh, contracep- contraception. Do you want to just give us a, a sense of what his arguments were? Okay, I will. Thank you. Uh, it's a great document, um, very short, um, easy to read. And because it's easy to read, it's also easy to miss uh, the drama that's in it. But let's just set the scene. We have, I mentioned the Anglican Church uh, before the break, uh, improving of contraception. We have the introduction of the contraceptive pill. It was just around the time uh, this mm-hmm. this came out, which was a great breakthrough from the point of view of the separation of sexual relations themselves from uh, uh, procreation in the sense that you were using contraception, but it didn't show while you were, as we were increasingly people would talk about making love um, in, in a sense that um, you weren't making babies, you weren't and you didn't have to think about what you were doing. The, the act of sex was the same as if you were being procreative. Uh, it was at another place with the contraceptive pill that you were using, engaging in contraception. And the other thing that is happening with the contraceptive pill it was as very effective as contraception. So uh, relative to other methods, the, the pill really made it very unlikely on a daily mm-hmm. or monthly basis that you would get pregnant, um, that, that there would be pregnancy. And so that changed the kind of odds ratio, if you will, the way that people were thinking. And many, many Catholics said either 
the church has been just slow in catching on. Mm -hmm. This is 1965. It's time to modernize. The Anglicans were just leaders in this. We should get there. So that was one view that was widespread. This, the other view that was widespread was that the pill was different. You weren't actually blocking the, the sexual act. You were just changing a woman's um, hormonal cycle. And that could happen anytime, as it were. You know, it happens in menopause. Um, so you're just mimicking nature according to this plan. I'm going to come back to that, mm -hmm. I hope, um, very soon. So what happens in this document, uh, sorry, right, one more preliminary is the negative view, that is to say the view that, that wants to change, to reject the previous teaching, um, either because it was wrong or because it's this, the situation has changed with the pill, um, was so powerful that when Paul VI appointed a council of lay people to discuss what should be done, the majority report of that council was that we should change the doctrine. And at the beginning of Humanitite, uh, the, the document says, I thank the commission for their input mm -hmm. and basically I'm going to ignore it, <laughs> which is exactly what he does. Uh, it's the great thing about being Pope. You can take the committee that you appointed with great seriousness and say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. That's exactly what he did. Um, and the core, the core to the teaching is that the, as, as the, the phrase is, the unitive and procreative um, meanings of the sexual act cannot be separated. That is to say, it's not really love and sex unless it is the full, uh, uh, the full con concept, the full reality of this act uh, is requires the capacity, uh, the full. Well, to use the words that, that John Paul II would add to this, the full gift of yourself. Um, in mm -hmm. sexual love, it's not honest, it's not the truth of sex, and thus it's not the truth of the way God made the body to try and, as it were, trick the body into a not being fertile. Mm -hmm. So there was no difference in this view between a trick that takes place in the genitals when you're having sex and a trick that takes place in the hormones by taking a contraceptive hormonal pill. Mm -hmm. uh, There's a, yeah. an objection that's often raised, which is what's wrong with um, going against human nature in a way? Like we do this with medicine all the time. Why, why is tricking the body necessarily wrong? Um, it's, a, it's a plausible objection until you start thinking about it. Because we do what we do in medicine is we have a sense of how the body is when it's working the way it should work. So this is a philosophical idea, but it's one that we have quite intuitively. Um, so up to very recently, and we're going to come to this because I, the introduction of contraception has changed our assumption of this. We wouldn't say we object to people trying to change the body when it's working the way it should be. So if my hip is in good shape, I don't mm -hmm. say I should get a new bionic hip that will make me go faster. 
I say, um, my hip is doing what it should do. But if I get arthritis, I can say, my hip is no longer being what my hip is supposed to be. Um, so my body is not the body that is by its nature, the human body. And so I have, I have the, the right, as it were, even the responsibility of trying to make the body as much as is possible back to what it's supposed to be. But if you look at contraception uh, of any sort, um, once you understand this unity of, of procreative and unitive meaning, what you're trying to do in any kind of contraception is change what the body is. Instead of being what it's supposed to be, you say, that's not what it's supposed to be. The sperm are not supposed to come into the woman's body with condoms. Um, the woman's body is not supposed to receive the sperm or be able to implant a, a fertilized egg or in some way to break the process. And in the case of the oral contraceptive, the hormones that the body wants to give, the natural hormones, the way the woman's body works, when it is being a woman's body working as a woman's body should, um, uh, is not right. We don't like it that way. We want to change it. So you're not making things as they are in nature. You're trying to change nature. You're mm -hmm. saying that's not what humans are. It's interesting because um, I wonder if you've heard of there are these... Uh totally non non catholic coming from a completely secular perspective feminists now um arguing against contraception which is fascinating and not a place i ever thought that we would be uh, but people like mary harrington and louise perry and mary harrington talks about how contraception is in some ways the first transhumanist um technology which is really interesting i wonder what you what you think about that yeah, so I, I read that and I, I have to say, I learned from Mary Harrington. I mean, I don't go all the way with her on everything she says because she is, as you say, she's quite distant from the church and some of the ways she approaches the problems are, are um, as yet, uh, uh, she hasn't quite got the full understanding, but I, I mean, nothing would surprise me less than Mary Harrington heading, you know, uh, embracing the Church of Rome, she might be surprised, but it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me because she's she's heading very much in that direction. Um, and but her objection or her her observation is very true. So uh, let, before we get into sexual change uh, um, and, and and transhumanism in various ways, just think about um, racing, bicycle racing, or or sports where people do in bicycle racing, they, they do these like blood implants um, to improve their performance or they in, in various sports, they've been taking steroids and you have this mm -hmm. constant fight of doping versus anti-doping technology. And the athletes say, well, I just want to perform as well as I can. And common sense, um, the kind of natural intuition is, no, you're treating your body like a machine. So you're like in, enhancing body performance, but your body isn't a machine. And no, in an athletic contest, what we care about is not how many, you know, how fast you run, how much weight you can lift, or if you're an American, how many home runs you can hit in baseball. It's about how you 
working with what your body is, or as a Christian would say, or you know, a believer, what God gave you as your natural body, how well you can do with that. Mm-hmm. And so the excellence of the body is being undermined in performance improving drugs. <clears throat> and we still have that intuition. Uh, I mean, a friend of mine once said, why don't you just give up? Let them take all the drugs they want and they can all die at 30. Their problem. And then we can stop with all this, you know, chasing back and forth uh, of, of, you know, of, of athletes. And I, I've tried that theory out on people and everyone has a kind of natural revulsion for that, not only because we care, might care about the athlete's own health, but really more importantly, because it's not what we mean by the human body. So to get to transhumanism, once you accept, once even this wedge, this little wedge of saying the way that the woman's body works as a fertile most, you know, occasionally fertile over the course of a cycle um, uh, body, um, once you reject that and say, well, that's, that's fine some of the time, but right now we have other things on our mind that we want the body to do. Let's make it do it. Well, you're Mm. thinking like transhumanism. You are, in fact, thinking of the female body as transhuman. You're trans, you're crossing over from what humans are. And so there's a really interesting debate right now about uh, transsexuals, which is a kind of transhumanism. Uh, I mean, transhumanism is usually used to refer to people who want to live forever. So they want to give up on the fact that the nature of the, the body, of the human body, is to die they want to pretend or hope that the body will can be moved on in terms of its capacity to live. But really that transhuman mentality, the idea is very, very centered on um, the notion of a uh, um, of, of judging whether the body is doing what we want it to rather than what we Uh, what it's supposed to. So if I'm a man and I think I want to have a woman's body, in the transhumanist mentality, um, it makes perfect sense to say, doctor, come, change my body, make it into a woman's body, and vice versa. Um, And of course, I mean, leaving aside how disastrous these efforts are on a physical scale, it's on a moral scale or a metaphysical scale that this is really damaging more profoundly damaging because you're denying that you have a nature that gives you both a guide and a limit or a possibility. I mean, it's sort of both a limit to what you should do and a possibility of becoming the excellence of that that body that you have um, can achieve. Um, Once we abandon that notion, um, we become less than human rather than actually more Mm -hmm. than human. So this transhumanism but Mary Harrington's very right that this transhumanism goes all the way back to the contraceptive pill. And once you say that contraception is okay, then the pill is okay. And once you say that the pill is okay, all the limits are conceptually broken. It may mm-hmm. take a few decades as it has, but as soon as you say the pill is okay, let alone the pill is great, everything is thrown open. There is no more human nature as a sexual creature. And then there really is no more human nature as a physical creature. 
and here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to me that like a lot of the arguments we have about ethical issues, especially bioethical issues now, boil down to people who can accept human nature and think it's a good thing to accept human nature and live with it and people who don't. And that seems to sort of cut a line, you know, arguments about surrogacy, arguments about um, contraception and transgenderism. They, they, it seems to often fall into those two categories in terms of people who think that happiness is in accepting human nature as it is and coming to terms with it um, and people who don't. Or, yes, happiness or even the fulfillment of what we can do, mm. that the limits to human nature actually limit what's possible for us. And then when we start to go past human nature or try to go past human nature, what we end up is not happiness, not joy, not freedom, but misery, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, what we're now talking about in, in, a, in the next, in the next topic, as it were, is uh, the, about yeah. mentality mm-hmm. and what that does to us. In the meantime, this is Day by Father Tansy. I am the pathway to the dark night. I am the day star that was once a light With every lie disguised by light I call to you With every high that binds you'll find my tracks to you Come fall, come fall, oh fall with me Come one Shines 
That was Day by Father Tansy. And if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Radio Maria live from our London studio. And we have with us Edward Haddas uh, talking on Credo about a contraceptive, the contraceptive um, mentality that pervades our culture. And we've just been talking about uh, transhumanism and the lack of this idea that human nature is, is something that should bind us, um, that the contraceptive mentality has... Uh, has given us. Um, what do what effect do you think this has had on um, sort of parenthood more generally? Well, we, we've got a we've got a lot. That's going to be a big topic. Let me actually start a little bit before mm. that and, and say one of the things you'll notice if you go to mass on a regular basis as a Catholic um, is well, you what you will not notice is a lot of discussion of the teaching on contraception and this mentality and the, the discussion we just had about humanism mm -hmm. transhumanism would be one that would make for a good sermon um and uh i i challenge any listeners here to to remind me of a sermon they've heard along these lines quoting mary harrington or anyone of that of that sort and reminding them of the truth of this teaching and it's not being cynical to say that uh, the priests who don't give that sermon, don't give a sermon about the importance of this teaching, are not trying to, are not necessarily trying to express a quiet disagreement with the teaching of the church. They're just somehow afraid, probably correctly, that they'll get a lot of criticism if they were to defend it. And in many cases, they themselves feel they don't have quite the theological or the philosophical or the sociological uh, background necessary to provide uh, a, uh, a coherent and persuasive defense. But it's worth thinking about why it is that this teaching is so unpopular and whether what the right thing to do with that unpopularity is. Um, and so the mentality and its effects uh, are one way of getting at it. And we just talked about one effect, which is this transhumanism in terms of physical change. There's lots of other effects. But at the end of the day, you can't go backwards from saying this is a bad effect to that it must be a bad cause because people aren't really persuaded by that. They say, well, look at all the good things that come out of contraception, the way that we have women's liberation and this and that, the way that we have this kind of freedom, the way that in many cases, the way that we can, it's come to encourage, uh, allow abortion, which allows us to have family planning. There are all these good things as identified and so when you start talking about effects and using that to argue about causes, mm -hmm. you're not going to get anywhere. I'm going to talk about mm -hmm. effects, but I want to think, why is it that we won't talk about the cause? Why won't we, as priests, as Catholics, why are we so reluctant to study this? Why are we so reluctant to tell our friends about it when we have studied it? Why are we so reluctant to see it as a central problem? And that the answer to that question is because it has become so central to our society. This contraceptive mentality and the culture in which it thrives and which makes it thrive is our culture. We can't get out of it easily. And so to question that culture requires a kind of courage that is very hard to ask for. 
mm-hmm. and to question that culture is itself a challenging thing to do. And then that means that um, it's much easier to just go along with it. But the Catholic Church has stood alone in res- resisting the contraceptive culture, resisting contraception, and by definition, the culture that it spawns. Uh, because you resist contraception, the cause, you also resist all the effects. And so, um, as we say in marketing, it is our unique selling proposition. It's how we differentiate Mm -hmm. ourselves, not just from Protestants, but uh, not just from, you know, other religions, uh, but from the whole culture. And if you want to explain what it means to understand how the human person is, uh, how, how we can be made in the image and likeness of God, the great Catholic insight that is the insight of the 20th and 21st centuries is that we have this human nature that's being violated when we engage in contraception. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't reach this, we don't really stand a chance of standing outside the culture, of being able to criticize it, take what's good from it, but to truly appreciate uh, what it's doing. Yeah, we have a question that's been sent Excellent. in as a voice note from Tim, so I'll I'll play that. Okay. Hi, Edward. Really enjoying this podcast. Um, I sometimes try and explain the church's teaching on contraception using a food analogy. So. A thought experiment imagine if um we completely divorced the nourishing effects of food from the pleasure we receive from it and how might that play out for example um if you just ate for pleasure but received your nourishment in, in some other way or you were using some kind of uh, uh i don't know like a device that stopped the food that you're eating um causing nourishment and you were receiving nourishment in some other way and then what sort of world would follow from that and what would people start eating in order to just experience the flavors of it and um etc etc like have you ever used that uh, that analogy before have you seen it do you think it's actually a good one i'd like to hear your thoughts okay um that's a great question um it's particularly a great question because actually we're about to engage in that experiment uh at least we're planning to there's a new collection of anti-obesity drugs that claim for the first i mean this claim has been made before and the drugs have never worked and that may happen again this time but they claim that they really are effective against obesity in a long and lasting way and right now, much as right now, it's the thin edge of the wedge, or maybe it's the fat edge since we're talking about <laughs> obesity, um, that you're saying it's only to correct what is a dysfunction in the body. So you're fat, um, take this drug, you won't be fat anymore. Um, and so it's much like the first arguments for contraception. Of course, you wouldn't take mm-hmm. this, use contraception outside of marriage. Um, Sorry, I'm going to answer Tim's question in a second, but I always, I, when I used to give talks of this, I would always remind my, my listeners of an exhibit in the uh, Science Museum in, in, in South Kensington in London, which I don't know if it's still there, but at the time it showed a, a, a TV sort of a little news clip about this new contraceptive pill from the 1960s. 
And they didn't want to talk about people's sex lives being liberated because that wasn't the kind of thing you did on television in those days. So they were discussing the business opportunity. And they said, there, whatever, 10 million married women who are, you know, could take the contraceptive pill. And it just seems so quaint, you know, that they yeah. hadn't opened the wedge yet that unmarried women might want to use the contraceptive pill. Well, obesity drugs, actually, if you think about it, what they give you is a license to eat. So you could just say, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I don't really care about its nutrition because I have this pill that's going to be like the contraceptive pill for food. And all I can care about is, is this. So Tim's example could turn out to be all too pertinent of, uh, of what's going to happen when we start to, uh, to, to take to do exactly that separation if that wedge actually opens up. And I can predict that it will be a disaster in certain ways that are very similar. Um, but food is a good example, but it doesn't capture the potency of re reproduction. Reproduction is so basic to who we are as humans that to take it away is actually even more basic than to take away nutrition. You can change your diet, but you can't get rid of having children if you have, want to have any kind of future at all. I don't know if we mm -hmm. do want to have any future at all in our society. If you look at the number of children that are being born, it suggests we don't really care for them that much. But if insofar as you do, you're actually, as it were, killing off the human race um, or trying to in, by, try, by, by ent entering in to uh, the first separation then denigration, and that's going to get to your question, your, your earlier question uh, of what does it do to parenthood? Uh, first, you separate uh, sex from having children, and then having children seems like a kind of secondary, optional, maybe not even that desirable thing to do. And then having children starts to seem like uh, mm -hmm. a burden on you, the mother, you, the father, and eventually the whole society, uh, the whole children. And then many years ago, I was renting a, my wife and I were renting an apartment in, in Texas, and we had some, we had this little baby there. Uh, she's now in her 40s, so it was a long time ago. And uh, um, they, we, we were very anxious to get housing. And the housing manager said, we're phasing out children in this development. <laughs> um, and... I have a feeling now that the whole world has become a development where we're phasing out children as a great and good thing. But that too comes from deciding that we, we don't have a nature that, that we work on. Mm -hmm. So you can start to see how it's not just in romance and how men are and how women are and how we use sexual activity how, what it starts to symbolize or how its symbolic meaning changes, how we think about sexual pleasure, um, how we think about courtship, that's where I talked about romance, all of that is going to change dramatically. And, and I, 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 we're running out of time for today, but I hope to come back and talk about all of that. And then you start to broaden out because you change the way you think about families and you change the way you think about uh, um, uh, the future, 
and you change the way you think about the role of men and women in, a, in the current situation. And ultimately, you change the whole way you think about uh, the, 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 the goodness of life it, because the abundance of fertility that was so obviously central to the goodness of the earthly life starts to seem like a burden and you, you enter into a very gray, dim world um, there that, that, is, that is very hard. So uh, just to, to finish mm -hmm. up on, on the part that, that, that Tim was raising is I think the food analogy can be very striking. Um, I, I once gave a talk uh, without any analogies uh, using the, the image that John Paul II gives of when you make love, do you not want to give who you are in making love um, and, uh, and, and all of who you are? And so if you give less than who you are, are you not lying? It's, he, he talk, John Paul II talks about that we, when we speak, uh, lie, to tell the truth requires not just uh, a, 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 a not lying in the sense of not saying dissembling, but it also in, it gives telling all what we know that's relevant to the situation. Mm -hmm. The whole truth. And the whole truth. Exactly. Thank you. And uh, in in there's a kind of statement of love in the sexual act that if you're holding back, you're not giving the whole truth. Mm -hmm. I remember saying this to some rather cynical Irish women at a conference. And they've been kind of suckered into this conference because they didn't realize it was run by Catholics um, <laughs> and was aiming at, you know, teaching them something. And when the truth came out, they were none too pleased um, about what was, you know, going on. But a couple of them stopped me uh, in the hallway and said, do you actually believe this garbage about birth contraception? Um, and I gave them this speech. And one of them said, well, if only I could persuade my husband of that, we'd be much better off. <laughs> um, and so I do think there's a yeah. natural, as it were, inclination to believe this. But it's very hard once you're in the mentality to see how important it is to, to think about the truth in this deep way and to think about nature. And any way that you can get people to start wondering about what our nature is and what, what our sexual nature is, 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 I think, a good thing. Wonderful. That's a, an excellent note on which to end. This has been uh, Credo with Edward Hadass talking about a contraceptive mentality. Um, if you just tuned in at the end and you think, this was really interesting, I want to hear more, but I've missed it. You haven't missed it. It will go up as a podcast, so don't worry. Thank you for joining us.